Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the role of women in early human society. Your teacher is Deborah Judge, Associate Professor of Biological Anthropology at the University of Western Australia. And Deborah joins us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, good. When we think about traditional women's roles, that, that, that must, much uh, you know, used phrase, this often misses the reality of what that phrase meant in or what that, the reality was of, of women's role in, in early human societies. Absolutely. When we think about it, um, we usually uh, don't think of a woman who, who produced food as well as, as preparing it. We don't think of a woman who provided a substantial part of the resources. We tend to think of somebody, a woman who is sitting at home with several children at her feet waiting for the breadwinner to bring home the uh, the food. Okay. There's no breadwinners uh, too early on because there's no settled wheat and, and agriculture. We, we're, talking <laughs> exactly. about a, we're talking about the world before uh, settled agriculture comes in about you know 10,000 or, or, or 12,000 years ago. Right. Yeah, um, what we have now, I think, is a very historical sort of understanding of the roles of women rather than an understanding of the evolved roles of women that occurred over the 150 to 200,000 years prior to agriculture. Hmm. They're doing some reproduction, but curiously, they're doing less reproduction than they did later and more production. Absolutely. Um, you think of women, these women were walking maybe 14 kilometers a day. They were out gathering. They had to know the countryside, recognize where the plants they were gathering were. Um, they'd often be carrying double digit uh, kilograms of, of gathered food and a child either at heel or in their arms at the same time and bringing back 60 to 80 percent of the food that came into the camp. That's true of the Kung San anyway in, in the um, Kalahari arid savanna. Children were uh, breastfed for a longer period of time because they didn't have the easy weaning foods. They they were uh, breastfed maybe four to five years, and that hard work by their moms, the, the walking and the breastfeeding on demand, meant that the pregnancies were further apart, mm-hmm. and so fewer children. Yeah, the interbirth interval might be something like, like five years. That then shrinks later on when we get settled agriculture. That, that gap is important too, isn't it? Because it, it allowed for the women to use lots of other women to help. The, the, because there's not so many children, they are able to use... The, the grandmothers and the aunts and so forth as part of the, the, the necessary childcare, given that they're spending so much time producing food. Absolutely. Women um, evolved to be producers as well as reproducers. And that, that help came often from a grandmother, even in those very prehistoric times, an aunt or even an older child. So human women didn't evolve to raise children without the help of others. Um, and those others were usually other women. From, from what we know, how much power did women have in, in these societies? Did, did they have a say in things like, uh, you know, who, who they were effectively married to, for instance? When they start, usually uh, the first marriage is, is more constrained by parental sorts of, of considerations, parents deciding and um, and, and making these sort of arranged marriages, but the women could largely leave them. There's a lot of variation across different societies in this. We know from looking at foragers now, some women's agency was more constrained than others, whereas in some of our, our some of the, the extant, the, the current populations that probably were most 
similar to the kind of circumstances we evolved in. After that, they can leave that first marriage, and after that first marriage, they could um, leave, change groups, etc. So very similar agency to to what men had. Mm. Now, we know some of this by uh, evidence from archaeology and, and so forth, but we also know it by looking at extant forager societies, right? Exactly. This is what the biological anthropologists do. They go out and they uh, spend time living with people who are living in ways that are more similar. Clearly, they're not exactly the same as, as 150,000 years ago. The environments were different. But we can see what the foraging societies that are, are living today do. I, some examples would be the Kung that I just mentioned, um, where women had that kind of agency. There's uh, a lot of work been, has been done on the Aceh in Paraguay and the South American jungle where women produce, they only, those women only produce about 30, 13% of their total calories, but almost all of the vegetable matter. And when they're foraging in the forest, they spend a lot more time finding food that is producing than they spend processing it. And when those particular populations then um, uh, settle, what we find from the the um, from from observation is that they then spend less time actually producing food and more or producing the food and more time uh, processing it. I mean, one of the interesting examples is uh, the foragers in the Philippine Islands because I think our, our image is that okay, the women might be uh, collecting you know berries and 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 vegetables, but the the men will be bringing back the the large game. That's not entirely true, though, is it? No, in the Philippines, we have the Agta people, and in the, that case, women alone and in groups brought back about thirty percent of the large game to the to the band, and they. We're, they're interesting because they use hunting techniques that allow at least some of them to take their babies with them while they're hunting or when grandmothers and other female relatives are not able to provide childcare. So we see a real overlap there in the productive and the reproductive. Okay, so what changes, you know, 10 or 12,000 years ago with, with settled agriculture? How does this, this picture all change really quite quickly and quite dramatically? Well, first it changes because the environment changes. The temperature increases on the planet and becomes much more stable, which facilitates uh, growing grains and things like that. And we find that agriculture starts in various places over the, the planet at roughly the same time. And what it, that means is that um, more grains are being produced. People are settling down with larger population sizes. The women are walking less and they're doing less work. So in that case, and, and they're producing these cereals that are mushy sorts of easy weaning foods. So that means that babies come more often, the women's reproduction is, is released sort of, so they're having babies more often. And those babies are weaning off of milk earlier. Um, and so at that point, the, each woman has more babies, more, more um, uh, children, at one time that that are dependent on her then they that is true for the foragers so they become more constrained to reproduction or they become more constrained because they're doing more reproduction which constrains their production and because there's so many children the available childcare the, the 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 nana or the the auntie is therefore divided between more children and therefore there's there's less help 
Absolutely. Or they live in smaller groups further apart because they're settled on this land. So those helpers are less available. Again, constraining women to be, to be doing the reproductive work instead of the uh, productive work. You say fertility goes up, but so does mortality. I mean, a human settlement actually is not great for longevity. Uh, human beings become smaller, more uh, liable to, to, uh, to, to the mortality rate actually comes down with settlement, surprisingly, doesn't it? No. Well, the mortality rate actually goes up. So both fertility and mortality go up. But what happens is the mortality rate um, increases more less than the fertility rate. And that's why you get a population increase. But you're absolutely right. Um, populations, when they shift, we can see archaeological evidence that they're shorter. They, their bones show more signs of disease, poorer teeth, etc. So it's negative there. The other interesting thing happens with agriculture is that children become more useful because more of the tasks in early agriculture you can do without being particularly sensible or um, skilled or or trained. So child labor becomes uh, more common, unlike the foragers where it's a knowledge economy. You really have to know a lot about those plants, animals, etc. before you're a, a productive forager. I mean, you could even argue that in some aspects, modern life is more similar to this pre-agricultural life than to this, the settled life of 10,000 years ago. We've got children who, by and large, don't start working until they're, they're much later, much like the forager children. Mm-hmm. We've got women who, um, who have got uh, 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 gaps of four or five years between children and might not have access to, to all the childcare that you're talking about. And fewer children as well. So what we find, and, and what I um, have have argued, is that the the women today and the construction of labor and and reproduction and the concerns that women have in terms of trying to make all these bits and pieces fit together in their lives is much more similar to our foraging ancestors, but not what we think of as traditional. <laughs> it's a, such a fantastic and fascinating listen. Uh, Deborah Judge, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. There's a Deborah Judge, Associate Professor of Biological Anthropology at the University of Western Australia. You can listen back to that lesson online. Share it with a friend, abc.net.au slash sydney. There you'll also find past episodes of the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. A lesson next week from Heather Handley, volcanologist and adjunct associate professor at Monash University on whether a volcano could form in your backyard. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.